Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com. That's where you'll find the audio-only live stream, the links to my social media pages, and, of course, access to the podcast on a variety of platforms, including uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Google, CastBox, Stitcher, and uh, Spotify. Good morning, my friends, how are you this morning? Are you ready to rock and roll? You ready to dive into this thing and uh, do what we've been talking about here? More candidate interviews for the uh, for the before the uh, regular election coming up here, not too long in the distant future. In the not too distant future. Good morning and welcome to the program. Uh, we're also, of course, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on regular terrestrial radio on this your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Um, uh, Hi, how are you? Today, we continue again, as I said, our candidate, um, uh, our candidate uh, interviews. And today is no different. This morning, we're going to start out uh, with some headlines from around the state. And then we will Jump into it with two different Senate candidates. In hour one, we're going to be talking with Rosalind Casey, who is a Democratic candidate for state Senate in District E. Now, that's the current seat. Uh, that's the seat in Anchorage is currently being held by uh, Roger Holland. Uh, Casey uh, is the uh, registered Democrat in that race. Uh, there are three other Two other Republicans, rather, I guess I should say. It's Kathy Giesel and Roger Holland, and Casey is the Democrat. Uh, so it should be an interesting conversation with her this morning to see where she wants to do uh, what she wants to do uh, and what uh, her positions will be on the uh, issues, the issues uh, as we see them around the state. Um, we also, in hour two, are going to continue on in our Senate races, and we will be talking with Stephen Wright, who is a GOP candidate for the state Senate, this time in the Matsu. And uh, we will uh, we'll be talking with him here uh, in, uh, in just a little bit. And, of course, we spoke with his wife yesterday, a very interesting husband and wife team. Um, where we're uh, we're going to talk uh, with him, with him there this morning to see what uh, he has to say about um, his candidacy for Senate District N, which is of course in the uh, uh, in the Matsu area. So um, that's that's pretty much it for today. Uh, what do we get tomorrow? Oh, man, tomorrow is Firearms Friday, and tomorrow we're going to be talking with Zach Weissmuller, who is a uh, 
reporter, editor, commentator with Reason Magazine. He had a recent article up talking about the media's role in the effects of mass shootings. And uh, I think it's I think it's super good. I thought it was a super good article and I want to talk with him about it uh, and uh, get your take as well. So that's coming up tomorrow on Firearms Friday. We're going to be we're we're I'm booking out, uh, you know, well into uh, um, uh, the week after next on Monday. Kelly Shabaka is going to be joining us as well as I believe John Bennett will be here, and then uh, Russell Wyatt, uh, Josh Church with Convention Yes, Ginger Bryant, Ron Gillum, and uh, Alan Gottlieb with the Second Amendment Foundation. That's all next week. I mean, next week's already booked up. Ooh, baby. It's going to be good. Good. Um, all right. So, um, and uh, <laughs> and we'll see. we'll see what happens from there. Um, okay, so uh, what is uh, what are the headlines this morning? Um, I uh, I gotta say, I gotta say, there's some definitely some interesting headlines across the state this morning. Uh, if you haven't been watching them, then uh, wow, wow, there uh, there's some interesting things going on. First and foremost. The Alaska Permanent Fund CEO's firing, that was the termination of Angela Rodell, which, uh, you know, we all heard was just, oh, it had to be the governor. The governor had, this had to be some kind of Machiavellian plot by the governor to get rid of, you know, a real producer um, in, uh, you know, in the state. Turns out there really wasn't um, no credible evidence that the governor was involved um, with the investigation. Uh, they, they found no credible evidence that he was even consulted uh, directly about the uh, about the firing of Angela Rodell. Um, they said that uh, they they found nothing. This is the this is the legislative bu- uh, budget and audit committee's report. Now, remember, yesterday we talked a little bit about the report that came at Suzanne Downing had uh, written the article about that was a leak of the uh, board's own. They, they, they sanctioned their own investigation basically, which I mean, oof, man, it sounded like there was a, somebody had their haterade because it sounded like there was a lot of contention between the board and Rodell, including the vitriolic diatribe that she launched into when they questioned her, performance um, amongst people, not her performance. Here's the thing. There was no discussion about her performance um, as far as, you know, the returns of the fund and everything else. The performance had to do with her inter, her personal, her people skills, the way she worked with other people and treated other people. That was really the bone of contention. And I could tell you as an employer and as, and as somebody who's worked with people, there are times where you get people who are really good with their jobs, but they stir up so much contention and strife and discord in the team that you're working with that it's just not worth it, right? Um, anyway, this uh, the ADN has got their piece on the official report that came out for the Legislative Budget and Audit Committee, and um, they could find no evidence 
that Dunleavy himself was involved in the ouster whatsoever. In fact, it's uh, quoted late in the um, um, it's quoted late in the uh, 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 in the article that basically he contacted the governor's office and described uh, that said that they were um, having serious performance issues uh, and that she might be terminated. And the response from the governor's office um, was that just to make sure that there was uh, that they were uh, uh, what they did was legal and above board. That whatever they did was documented and legal. That was essentially it. Which would be quite honestly, uh, if I've I've had to fire people, it's not a big deal. And when you talk to the HR people and they say, "Well, just make sure that you document everything and that you follow procedure." That, that was, you know, and make sure it's legal. That's what it's all about. Um, so uh, anyway, it is, uh, it, it's, I don't know. Andy Josephson is not convinced. He's concerned about the lack of objective standards at her performance review. That she had threatened legal action in the past against her abrupt firing. And he's like, I think the state's going to pay a settlement. Well, the state may pay a settlement, but... The bottom line is the their own report came out and said they didn't do anything wrong. That's that's what it's all about. They did not know they did not do anything on, uh, wrong. Uh, the investigation found no credible evidence that Dunleavy had orchestrated the firing in any way. So uh, there you go. I mean, you know, all this to do a hundred thousand dollars. All this ink being slung back and forth for this, uh, what was it, 10-month, 9-month, 10-month investigation with a 65-page report that basically came out and said, no, they, you know. And what's interesting is that it's almost like a he said, she said, because you get the 65-page report, which reads and comes across as kind of sterile about some of the things, but comes to some of the same conclusion that the 16-page report that the board members independent law firm found, although the one from the board members kind of lays it out on the table and says, hey, she, they waived everything. Here's what it is. And goes on and actually, you know, kind of talks about how she treated people inside the uh, inside the permanent fund board, which I mean, that's the oversight committee. These are essentially your bosses. And uh, that's how she treated people. Um, and, uh, especially what she didn't agree with them. It's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, uh, thing. You should go out and you should go out and read both articles, uh, to get kind of a, a flavor from what both, you know, somewhere in the middle, it's like I said, you read all this stuff and then somewhere in the middle, vague middle there, there's a little bit of truth to something. Let's, you know, you could find the real truth when it comes down on it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I got a phone call the other day. Um, and I know that the Peltola team is, I mean, they are all over this. I got a phone call the other day, uh, from some young lady with a squalling baby in the background, which I thought was interesting. Um, asking me questions about, uh, did I know Mary Peltola and would I support Mary Peltola and everything else? And I said, uh, uh, you know, yes, I knew her. And no, I wouldn't be supporting her. And she said, well, can you, you know, can you help me out here and tell me why you won't be supporting her? And so I proceeded to talk a little bit about the positions that Peltola has put out. And I got to be honest with you. Obviously, this woman was not prepared for somebody who understood the issues. 
it was kind of a satisfying exchange for me, I guess I should say. And specifically talking about, uh, you know, one of the main reasons was the uh, was firearms and the expansion of government. Um, and uh, this young lady uh, was, she goes, well, thank you. I, I have a lot more information than when I started. I'm going to have to go look up. And I'm like, yeah, go look it up. Go look up what I'm talking about here. Uh, but uh, Mary Peltola is on the thing. But my big thing was, of course, the you know, one of my big things was firearms. Um, Must Read Alaska's got an article out here about how Mary Peltola has a D rating from the NRA uh, because she's got a record of pushing for, quote unquote, common sense gun laws. Um, while she, uh, uh, she was a legislator, uh, supporter, excuse me, while she was a legislator from Bethel, she supported a gun control legislation, uh, in how in July, the house of representatives passed a bill to ban the so-called assault, assault weapons, right? Uh, Don Young would have, uh, tried to stop that if he had been alive. Um, but, uh, you know, all we know is that Mary Peltola in answering her candidate questionnaires has been kind of all over the place on the pro-gun control side. She thinks that we should be should have gun storage laws, there should be a waiting period to purchase guns, and that there should be a federal universal background check. Um, she wants to make sure that hunters are protected, but that you know none of these other things infringe on anybody's Second Amendment right. Uh, she she uh, when when she was uh, asked about uh, the assault weapons ban by Time magazine she said of course i support background checks i don't think that's an infringement on the second amendment i would like to see the particulars of an assault weapons ban because they are used in some instances in hunting in alaska and they're tied to food security but right out of the gate no i don't support a complete ban on all assault rifles so just some right <laughs> Anyway, uh, and then a friend of mine last night sent me a text message. Apparently, he's getting text messages now from uh, she's all about the fish and she's all about it's going to be full court press, people. This is full court press to uh, to make it. Um, And um, this next I got to I just my my personal take on this. I think the next four weeks are going to be nasty. I really do. I think the next four or five weeks are going to be brutally brutal. Is that redundantly redundant? It's going to be interesting. Let's just let's just put it that way. It's going to be interesting to watch. All right, we got to jump into it here. Rosalind Casey is going to be our guest in just a moment. A Democratic candidate for uh, House or excuse me for Senate District. Oh God, E, right? E. Pretty sure. They keep changing it on me. What are you going to do? Uh, We're going to be back with her in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return to more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, uh, we're in the break right now. Um, 
Oof. Uh, let's see. I've got a lot of comments here. I see that Rosalind Casey's in the green room right now. She's hanging out there. We're going to check her audio here in just a hot second. So don't uh, don't get anywhere here. But let me just uh, go through some of the uh, comments in here. Um, uh, somebody said, uh, uh, I hope that was my internet and not yours. No, it was actually my internet. And what's ironic is that I have a I have a very high speed connection. But uh, I've noticed that a lot of the candidates' websites um, are man, they drag the whole world down. I mean, they will literally uh, draw the entire they'll they'll cause my entire computer to nearly crash. It's like. I don't know if the sites just aren't optimized, if it's Weebly or whoever it is, but man, there's a. Uh, I've noticed this with a couple different candidates. Louis Flores' site was it, and uh, and Stephen Wright's site this morning was like, oh man, whatever it was, it it caused my entire computer to lock up. <laughs> it's like I couldn't broadcast anymore. Anyway, so we'll make sure we pull that page back up. Uh, during the commercial break next time, huh? Okay, let's get to that. Um, all right, let's uh, go over here and uh, take a look at. Uh, let's, let's see if we can get. Let's get Rosalind Casey up on the uh, on the thing, shall we? Here, see if we can get some audio out of her and see what it sounds like. And we'll test this here as we're uh, coming into the commercial break. We're about uh, two and a half, three minutes out from returning to radio, and we go over here. Good morning, Rosalind. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Okay, you look at this. You sound fantastic, and you're uh, you're all ready to uh, to go for the interview this morning. Yeah. Do you mind if I mention my name is Rosalind? I'm sorry, Rosalind. I apologize. That's that's you know, all right. All kinds of people call me both. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know until you hear it actually spoken. You read it one way, and you and you uh, say it another. So, all right, Rosalind Casey is uh, is going to be joining us here. All right, Rosalind. So uh, we will be back to you here in just a moment. Then, if you want to get your next cup of coffee and be ready to go, we'll jump right back into it here in just a second. Okay. Okay. I think I'll get water instead. Okay? Well, you you get whatever you want. Whatever your poison. Pick your poison. Pick your poison. There you go. Uh, okay, all right. I'll be right back. We'll be right back uh, here with Rosalind Casey um, uh, here this morning. Okay. Um, let me else. Speaking of water, um, let's see. Hawk says, I knew it was a hoax the entire time they pulled that nonsense about the governor out of their rear ends. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, this was all about the fact that uh, Natasha and uh, Angela were friends. I think that was a lot of complaining going on, and that's, I think, where the, the, the genesis of this whole investigation started. And now... We found out $100,000 later that there was no collusion or anything else. It is Again, it's hard when you have somebody who's very good at their job, who does a good job, but creates and stirs up so much tension amongst the other employees or has such a bad, poor working relationship with those around them that you can't. I've done it. I've fired people who were good workers but could not get along with everybody else, and uh, they had to go because sometimes it's the unity of the whole clan that you're dealing with. It's, you know, it's frustrating. Definitely frustrating. Um, and when politics are involved, oof, man, it's even worse. Even worse. Um, okay. 
Um, I'm just going through looking at all these th- comments in here. Uh, Bill said the facts that the text from Peltola stating she hasn't accepted any outside money for her campaign is um, not true, I think is what he's saying there. Not true. Um, baggage, and, baggage and Sarah need to have a sit down. Good luck. I mean, those are huge egos, huge egos. You think that they're going to, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, as a libertarian, I just kind of sit outside here and go, you guys, you guys, can't we all just kind of work together to get, nope, nope, not going to work. Too much, too many egos involved in that whole thing. All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Rosalind Casey, our guest, up next. Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Our one continues. Our candidate interviews. Candidate candidate interviews. Joining us uh, on the program this morning is a candidate uh, from the Democratic Party for State Senate in District E. That is a district in the Anchorage area. That's the seat currently being held by Roger Holland. And uh, uh, Rosalind Casey, I almost said Rosalind again, her name is Rosalind, uh, is uh, our guest. And she joins us this morning to talk about her candidacy. And we welcome her to the uh, program. Good morning, Rosalind. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. I appreciate being I appreciate you having the show, and I appreciate being able to be on it. Well, we love it. We always like to hear, uh, you know, uh, different viewpoints. Um, I know that uh, some people are nervous about coming on the show because, obviously, you and I probably disagree philosophically on a lot of different things. But I always believe that, you know, a plethora of ideas is a good thing. Whether you agree or not, it's good to have a discussion about them. So I appreciate you coming on board and, and, and talking about it. So. It's uh, it's good to have you on. So first things first, let's find out about you, who you are, where you are, where you come from, a little bit of backstory, as it were. Give us your origin story, as the superheroes would say. Where do you, you know, who are you, and and, and where do you come from? Give us uh, give us some details here. Well, my mother and father were both in World War II, and my mother for a while was in California, where she treated the soldiers on the Aleutian chain that had um, bullet uh, other injuries and they put leeches on them. So then they shipped him down to California. She took out the bullets uh, uh, and the leeches and uh, gave them penicillin. So she was always interested in uh, Alaska. And um, I grew up in uh, Wisconsin. went to the University of Wisconsin and met a um, VISTA recruiter there. So I came to Alaska, lived in one of the um, Yupik villages along the Yukon River River for a couple of years, and then um, went back to school, um, uh, got a social welfare 
degree uh, from the university and then went to Washington, D.C., where I worked for Mike Gravel uh, during the um, Vietnam War, the uh, approval of um, the Native Land Claim Settlement Act, the uh, pipeline amendment, um, uh, getting the um, marine highway to become part of the federal highway system, all kinds of really interesting things. And then I came back uh, to Alaska and um, done a lot more things, but I don't want to take all of your time. <laughs> I, um, I've spent a lot of time in adult education. I think um, I was director of the um, Literacy Council of Alaska and Fairbanks and the UAA Adult Learning Center here in Anchorage. And I believe that education um, is a key. Um, so many of our students have dropped out of high school and the lack of a high school diploma has prevented them, very talented people, from getting even into a union apprenticeship program. So um, that's, that's my real interest. But I, I have um, hobbies like water aerobics, and um, I'm a, I have an MBA from the University of Alaska, and uh, do, and I'm an enrolled agent, um, so I can represent people in front of IRS. And right now, I'm spending too much time doing taxes for people that filed an <laughs> extension, and they're getting letters, but. Um, Right. I'm trying to campaign the rest of the time. Yeah, no, it's uh, definitely a pickup. I'm still waiting for my return from a year and a half ago, so I know exactly what you're dealing with. The IRS is always a fun thing. Uh, oh, definitely. <clears throat> all right. Well, it's good. I mean, it sounds like you have been involved in politics. I mean, working with Gravel and, of course, all the big things, Anilka and all the other things you've mentioned, definitely sounds like you've got a little bit of a background. What made you jump into the local race here? I mean, was it a, was there an aha moment, like a one single thing? Was it accumulation of things? I mean, what made you decide to finally throw your hat in the ring here in the local uh, area? Well, this is pretty much a conservative area. Um, part of the district has some of the highest um, income in the state, but everybody is is not the same. We, we have a lot of, uh, maybe 40% are uh, not as conservative as, as the rest. And I think everybody needs to be represented. Um, we frankly had two Republicans in the race. I thought uh, Adam Lees was going to be running. And um, my I work with, closely with my uh, local district. And on the weekend, they said, well, we, do, we have two Republicans running in a ranked choice and no Democrat. So I couldn't let that happen. Just <laughs> like you say, we have to have a good variety of uh, people uh, running the races, um, not just one person. Right. Well, I can respect that. I mean, you know, I've always said that even in, um, I've always said that I don't think any candidate should run on a post, even those that I support and I believe in, I believe that iron sharpens iron and it's always good to have, uh, 
uh, have somebody in there to, uh, you know, to keep people sharp and keep them on point. Even popular uh, politicians should have a contender uh, against them because it keeps them on point and doesn't allow them to become too complacent. They know they've got to please their constituency. So I think that's a good thing. Um, let's talk a little bit here about some of the issues. Um, uh, obviously, it sounds like you're a busy lady. Have you had a chance to go out and walk doors? And, uh, and again, your district is a little different because you're the you're the Democratic underdog in a Republican district. So what you know, what is the what's the constituency said to you? I mean, what are the issues that they're dealing with? We we often hear, you know, crime, inflation, the budget, the PFD is a big one. What are the issues that your constituents are concerned about? Well, I think I think economy is is very important, but the trick is to have economic development without infringing on either the beauty or the um, the climate or everything that we have. Our our uh, district, um, like Natasha Van Imhoff, has been our representative. I'm in, I live in Ocean View. And I've um, been active in the community council. I'm currently president of the uh, Old Seward Ocean View Community Council. So I've, I've done a number of walkings in our own area related to issues like um, getting good water in um, near Ocean View School, where the pipes are too small and we've had some poor rusting there. And, so when we have different events, um, I like to go door to door and hand out announcements about them. Across the highway, uh, south of Huffman, um, I've been a friend of Pat Abney, and was treasurer when she ran years ago for the assembly. And she's been going door to door with me um, in the upper hillside area. And that's just been fascinating. Uh, we haven't gone as fast and hit every door yet, but uh, the uh, opportunity to talk to people about what their concern is, and a lot of them are concerned about big developments coming in and how that's going to affect their local water and sewer and electrical things like that. And then we go on down to Birdwood where, um, um, our, my daughter lives in our family home there with my two grandchildren. And so I have an excuse to go to Girdwood <laughs> and do my door knocking down there. And then it goes all the way to Whittier. So each area has its own interest, but they're all interested in affordable housing for them cells and a good school for their kids. Now, you mentioned Natasha von Imhoff being your senator, and on your page and on your website, uh, you say that you're a permanent fund defender, and I see Juanita Kilsilius is in the uh, chat room as well, saying that you've been part of the permanent fund defenders, um, and you've taken action on that. That's obviously a big issue on this program. We talk about it quite frequently, and uh, that may have put you at odds with your senator, because I know that she was, you know, she had a plan that was a $500 dividend, and taking most of that money to use for government expenditures instead of passing it on to the people. What's your position on the PFD itself? Are you a full statutory PFD allowing people to utilize that wealth and be able to expand their own lives? Or what, what, what's, what's your take on the PFD? Should, where, how should we be paying it? 
Okay, well, my personal opinion is I like the way it was set up. I like the five-year averaging. I like the involvement that it makes um, our residents have in, in knowing what's going on. Um, so personally, um, I like the PFB as it has been. And I even can understand where in certain circumstances the, uh, the legislature and the, and the governor want to tap it, but if they do, they should face the people that they're taking it away from. Right. As I said in the beginning, we have, the way I look at the PFD, if you take the amount of the PFD and compare it to your monthly income, if the PFD is more than you're going to make in a month, then it's very important to you. On the other hand, if the PFD is less than you make in a day or in your trust fund that you have or your um, uh, retirement income or whatever it is, then you want to keep getting your other income, which, which may actually be from the state through oil or contracts or things like that. So the, um, the amount of the PFD um, is very different to different people. Right. But, um, right. If you're making a million bucks a day, I mean, just to pick a number out of the air, if you're making a million bucks a day, uh, you know, 3000 bucks seems like nothing, uh, or a million bucks a month, I guess, you know, a a 3000 bucks seems like nothing. If you're making 15,000 bucks a year, $3,000 is a huge amount, right? So it, it definitely has a disproportionate effect. And that, what we've seen in the last few years, of course, is that the taking of the permanent fund has disproportionately affected the middle to lower income earners more than anybody else um, and has had the largest detrimental effect of the uh, overall economy as well, especially coming out of a recession and going right into a pandemic. Definitely not the time to be tapping into people's PFD and, and, and hurting uh, you know, a vast majority of Alaskans. Actually, I agree with you on everything you said, I think. Yeah, I know. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? It's weird. We can agree on stuff. Uh, Rosalind, uh, Rosalind Casey, rather, is our guest here uh, on the Michael Duke Show. I want to talk a little bit more about the economy, the size of the budget, and education. But we are up against the commercial break, and so we're going to uh, we're going to continue here. We're going to be right back with her. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, uh, Free-Thinking Radio. Make sure you, uh, if you'd like, you can come out and check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. We've got the uh, chat room going on out there this morning and, of course, the simulcast on all the social media platforms. Rosalind Casey continues with us in just a moment. We'll be back with more right after this. What is that? Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, we're in the break right now uh, with Rosalind Casey, and uh, and uh, I'm just making sure we can hear it. When we hear the bell, that means we've got just about ten or twelve seconds to jump back into it, Rosalind. So if you hear uh, if you hear a uh, sounds like a ringside bell, then you know we gotta we gotta wrap up and jump back onto the radio. Uh, I'm fascinated, quite honestly, um, about your uh, experience uh, in Congress uh, with Anilka and the highways and the, all the other kind of stuff. I had no idea that uh, 
that that was in your past in your background that must have been a fascinating um that must have been a fascinating experience i mean you must have been very very young at that point get give us a little bit of uh uh of uh, of history lesson there that sounds fascinating well yeah i was pretty young but the uh it, it just so much was going on that um i didn't I wasn't one to plan ahead. I was just one to take whatever t- opportunity uh, came before me. And uh, I had a friend that uh, worked at, uh, or uh, that's family was active in politics. And she, frankly, uh, I went to visit her in Washington, D.C. And she called up Tommy Thompson, who was a representative from Wisconsin at the time. And um said told them she was me and that I was in Washington DC and she knew he didn't have a job but could she uh could he arrange for me to have an interview and at the time there happened to be an opening in Senator Gravel's office as um the uh backroom um opening mail doing all of the uh interesting an intern uh, kind of thing, right? I mean, just kind of being behind the scenes there. Right. And it happened to be that where my office was, was right next to the room that they had the uh, um, Watergate hearings. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jeez, that's that's some that's some crazy stuff. And of course, and she pretended to be you is what you're saying. She called up and said she was you. Is that what you said? Well, I wouldn't want to say that something like that, but well, that could have happened. I mean, I think the statute of limitations has probably run out on that. If there was some, you know, but that's it's always it's always fascinating to uh, to to hear about that. Um, I am I want to talk to you a little bit about um, when we get back here. I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, the business development and uh, and education. Um, you said some things that I mean I wholeheartedly agree with. I think something is fundamentally. I think th- I think something is fundamentally broken uh, in our education system um, in the state because we keep, you know, we keep pouring exponentially increasing amounts of money into education, and yet we have, you know, we still have a seventy four seventy five percent graduation rate, which means you know we don't have a we got one in four are failing. You know, we have to have all of our students if they want to go to college. Uh, it seems like the vast majority of them have to take remedial math courses just to be able to get into 100 level classes, and there's something there's something fundamentally wrong there. And I think we need to start addressing that at a deeper level. So I'm glad you you brought that up because I'm truly troubled um, about what's happening in education um, uh, overall in the achievement levels and in the in the scholastic achievements and and uh, and where we sit so i definitely want to pick that one up um what and i guess we uh, we i ask you about what were your constituents talking about you talked about some different local issues and things like that um uh, but what are the i mean what was the what do you think if you had to pick one thing of the overarching concern from all your constituents that you've gotten to visit what would it be is it the amorphous kind of overall economy is it the PFD? Is it, um, you know, their own economic situation? What do you think is probably the, the, the commonality, the thread that we see amongst all your constituents that you've talked to? Boy, that's a, that's a tough question. But I, I think that um, the constituency that want to stay in Alaska, 
not the ones that came up here to make money or something and leave. Um, they're they're concerned about their children and the um, they would like to have their children either stay in Alaska or come back in Alaska. And but the but what's happening on the coast with the climate? Um, it's it's just so scary. Um, the uh, people, I don't know. It's it's hard to say what other what other people want. I mean, right, I'm, right. I'm much better at listening and 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 seeing what it is. But um, I know I know I have three children, and uh, one of them lives in the district. One lives in the former district, and one lives in New York. And um, you know that's that's what's important to me and to a lot of people. Okay, but, All right. um, hold on, hold on, Rosalind. We're coming back into it. We got to jump back into it here, uh, folks. Uh, like and share, like and follow uh, if you'd like on the different pages. Subscribe, ring the bell. We're going to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Okay, uh, we're ready to get back into it here with Rosalind Casey, Democratic candidate uh, for state Senate in District E. Uh, She joins us this morning. Uh, We finished talking uh, about uh, some of the different things, but she's mentioned a couple things about education, and I want to dive down into that. Uh, She mentioned, you know, the fact that we have a we have a a failure rate at graduation. We've got a one in four not graduating. We scholastically were, you know, we're at the bottom of the barrel, 48th, 49th, 50th in, in, in achievement scores for math and reading and other things. And and I guess my question is, what does you know, Rosalind? What, uh, Rosalind, what do you think is the solution to this? I mean, we poured ever increasing amounts of money into the education system, um, and it seems like that is commonly the answer that people come up with. Well, we just need to fund it better. We need to fund it more. But if you look at it at a at a graph and see where we started. You know, or even just going back twenty or twenty-five years, you see that the 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 increase is tremendous, even compared to the student enrollment, which is relatively flatter in some cases, actually diminishing. And yet, we still have these poor scores, and you know, the lack of graduation and everything else. So, in your mind, what is the answer to our educational woes? In your mind, well, we just all need to enjoy education and encourage our uh, our kids and family and friends to do it. Um, I, I, I think education is fun and that we should do it. But look at some of the things we did. Um, we took away the benefits of being a teacher. I mean, we uh, for new teachers, for old teachers, it was great. But for new teachers, um, they don't get Social Security and they don't get a state retirement anymore. Um, 
And so it's a great place to come and work for a few years, put it on your resume, and then leave. Uh, we used to have the adult um, learning center as a part of the university. Sorry about that. Um, we we closed that. So I think we need to um, to look even back in in the eighties. Um, we had some of the highest scores, and and we've just dropped it. But I think we need to enjoy education, do it because we want to, and um, and go back to some of the um, funding um, for state employees, particularly uh, university and uh, school teachers, so that they don't have the desire to come here, get something to put on the resume for a year or two, and then take all of their experience outside. I mean, teachers still have a retirement. It's a defined contribution versus a defined benefit retirement, but that means that they still get to contribute. The state still contributes. They have more direction in what they can do with their own retirement plans. It's different, but we've also seen what defined or defined benefit plans have done across the country over the years. I mean, we've seen them, you know, major corporations have had to be bailed out by the federal government. Many communities and states have steered away from defined benefits because, like us, they ended up with a tremendous unfunded liability. We still have a multi-billion dollar unfunded liability for tier one employees currently. Um, so are you suggesting we need to go back to a defined benefits program uh, for teachers uh, simply to continue to attract them? Um, um, uh, even Not while... to attract them, but to keep them. Okay. Um, uh, the, um, I mean, we had a really good one that was designed to bring people up um, during the pipeline when we didn't have the money, but we knew we were going to get it. But the, uh, we dropped the defined benefit program and have these four different tiers. So the new people are not contributing to those that are in the old uh, benefit program the way it was originally designed. I mean, you can make changes with it but we eliminated Social Security for um, teachers and, and other employers or uh, employees. And so there's neither Social Security nor any uh, defined benefits. And when we did that, um, we were encouraging people to come up to the state, um, get their experience, get their resume, get their training, and then leave. Uh, I mean, I guess my, my concern is, uh, again, is that we could, we currently still have an unfunded liability from the first tier, uh, first and second yeah. tier, really. Uh, the third tier was also defined benefits, and it was only to the fourth tier where they changed it to a defined contribution. My concern, again, is the the uh, the out years that may do well in the short term to attract people because obviously hey if it's a gravy if it's a gravy retirement that looks good I definitely want to participate but what does it cost us in the years to come I mean again at, at its peak we had almost a 12 13 billion dollar unfunded liability we've got it whittled down now I think the last number I saw was six or seven but I mean if we open it back up then we're opening it back up to the potential for uh, you know, our children's children to have to be paying for things that, uh, you know, that we're experiencing today. 
But that's what Social Security does. But that doesn't make it right. I mean, I'm just saying that's you're you're right. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not arguing that, that Social Security is a great thing or that it uh, it's well it's well built or well discovered. I mean, it's essentially a government Ponzi scheme if you really look at it. But I'm saying that do we do we you know add to the burden of future generations by expanding unfunded liability um, uh, in the long term? For the short-term gain of making sure we retain a teacher today, uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm just curious as to that. Pay, I don't that think it needs to be unfunded. I, you know, I, um, it's just I think that the state has more ability to invest in a retirement program than I, as an individual, do to picking out, you know, whatever I need to put in my uh, uh, 401k. Um, I, I, I think there's a real advantage in, in having the, uh, the larger investments, but, um, maybe, maybe the, the original, uh, tier one was too high, but, um, by leaving social security and any kind of defined benefit, we're not going to encourage, um, uh, teachers to, to want to stay in the state. Uh, the overall, so we, need to, we need to have more locally developed teachers. And, and so what do we do there? We, uh, lose the accreditation of the university teacher program. Um, I, we're running out of time here. One final question here before I let you give us your elevator pitch, as I like to call it for, uh, for the thing, um, size and scope of government currently. Um, do you think that we are, uh, too small, too big? Just right. Where, where do you think the size and scope of government uh, spending is right now in the state of Alaska? Um, with, of course, our combined, you know, nine, you know, set was seven billion dollars in state funding and another. I mean, we're at almost 20 billion dollars in the state between state and federal funding. Uh, is it is it too small? Is it too big? Is it just right? What's your take? Um, I think you have to look at where the money's coming to do it. I mean, if we're getting, um, like when I was with the Adult Learning Center, when we're getting $2 million from outside funding and we're putting in uh, 100000 I don't think it's wrong uh, to have a larger size. I think the important thing is where is the money coming from that's supporting the um, our, our budget and is it improving our situation, creating more money, or net-wise making us go down? So I don't think it's just putting uh, a top limit on how much you can make or how much you can spend that's important. I think you have to uh, match your spending and see where the money comes from and make sure that overall, uh, you're getting a balanced budget. You mentioned in there that we shouldn't be spending, you know, that we shouldn't be, we should live within our means. You talk about that and that we shouldn't be tapping into savings first, but we obviously did. We spent $16 billion out of the constitutional budget reserve over the course of four or five years uh, because we refused to acknowledge that we were living beyond our means. Was that sustainable? Was that responsible? Well, the question is, is when we're living beyond your means, if you're 
spending money to um, get a good set of clothes to go to a job interview or to, to do something that's um, related to bringing in more money, um, then, it's, then it's reasonable. But just spending money without seeing where that's going to come back to you in the future, that's what's not sustainable. All right. We're coming up to the last minute here. You got about 45 seconds. I'd just love you to give our, your elevator pitch. Where do people find you? Why should they vote for you? Rosalind Casey, go ahead. Hi, my name is Rosalind Casey. Um, I live in the Ocean View area. I have three kids and now I have six grandchildren. And um, I live in Alaska because I love the air and I can breathe here where I can't every place else. And I want to do the best I can for, for my community. And you can get me at RosalindCasey.com um, or um, All right. email me. And thank you very much for the thank opportunity. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right, folks, that's it for Hour 1, Hour 2 is Dead Ahead, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, Rosalind, is there anything that we didn't get to that uh, you you want to uh, sound off about or anything else that we missed before I let you go here? I always like to give one final bite at the apple, so to speak. I just want to thank you for the opportunity because there's not as many debates and things going on where we have a chance to um, express our opinions. And I appreciate you having the other candidates on also. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, we may not agree on things, but I'm sure there's always things we can find that we can agree on. And uh, I think we need more of that. I think we need more people who agree to disagree politely and uh, and you know find some kind of uh, f- find some kind of common ground in where they do agree on things. So I appreciate you coming on board and being part of it today. And that was a great summary for me. Thank you. All right, I appreciate it, uh, Rosalind Casey, our guest. Uh, for uh, this hour of the program. I see that Stephen Wright is in the green room, and uh, we're going to uh, jump into it with him real quick here to test the audio sources and everything else to make sure that everything is working, and uh, we'll do that uh, right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Doing doing good. Doing good. Okay. Um you, uh, uh, you're wow. I'm, you're, you're, you're full of, uh, you're full of red, white, and blue today. Um, what, uh, let me just give me a, give me a Mary had a little lamb there, uh, for a second, Stephen, to make sure we got your audio perfect. Okay. Mary had a little lamb. Okay, good. All right. That's, I just want to make sure that we've got the, enough audio to be able to hear you and we're, uh, we're good to go. Uh, all right. So Stephen, I'm going to put you back into the uh, green room for a minute and we're going to hang out here. I've got to get caught up on some comments from the chat room this morning. Uh, we're going to restart the show here in just a moment. Uh, so you got time to get a cup of coffee or water, or milk or whatever it is that you, whatever floats your boat here this morning, uh, to get things going on. I personally need a drink of water, uh, Ah, okay. Icy cold and ready to go. All right. uh, Let me go back here into the chat room to see what you guys have been talking about this morning. And uh, we will um, see what you have to say. Um, Brian says, part of the problem, and this is with education, is that we accept mediocrity. I think that's a problem in general when it's all uh, said and done. Um, K 
Kevin McCabe says that is the same people that say that is the same as we have to cut your dividend to save your dividend. People think defending the permanent fund is defending the dividend. They are not the same thing. I agree with that. This is earlier when we were talking about permanent fund defenders and the permanent fund dividend. They are different things. I mean, the permanent fund dividend is definitely different from the permanent fund. And we definitely need to make sure that we are definitive about which part that we're talking about at what time, uh, for sure. Um, uh, let's see, defined benefits. Oh, oh no. Now, I mean, that's the thing. Defined benefits are a disaster, but it seems to be that that is the battle cry and the talking point for many of the many of the Democratic candidates lately. That seems to be the push. That's what they want to do. Um, Define benefits for teachers, law enforcement, and all state workers. There goes the entire permanent fund. Yeah, I mean, again, that's the problem. The unfunded liability from a defined benefits program. I mean, and quite honestly, here's something that Harold and I agree with. Uh, a defined benefit plan is simple slavery. Employees are wards of the state instead of free to take their retirement wherever they want to go. Plus, a defined contribution rises in value, and the employee owns their retirement. Uh, I mean, trust me, there are plenty of people here in the private sector that would love to have a defined contribution plan. Would love to have one. Um, so, quite frankly, they're lucky. Um, but again, to compare it to say that Social Security is a Ponzi scheme too. We should not have where you have to have people currently working to pay out for people who've worked in the past. That's it. It's insanity. It's insanity. Um, uh, let's see. It's cold and dark, but at least it's raining. It may be cold and dark outside, says Jeffrey, but at least it's raining. Um. This year's PFD went towards that $8.59 a gallon gas heating oil, or excuse me, heating oil, new tires, Toyo heater parts, winterizing supplies, and clothes for the toddler. Yep, that's pretty much where everybody went. That's pretty much where everybody went. Um, Jennifer says, I work for the school district. We get paid well and have a great retirement. Uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> rank Rose uh, as your uh, rank, Rosalind is your first or second choice in District E. Roger Holland and and Rosalind Casey, not Kathy Geisel. Well, I mean, I, I think I probably would rank Rosalind before I would rank Kathy Geisel. I, I think you're probably right on that. Um. All right. I think we're at it's it. Um, we're, we're down to the, we're down to the last comment. Okay. So we're all caught up. I'm all caught up now and we're ready to go. Stephen Wright is our guest. He is in the chat room or in the green room, uh, ready to join us here in the chat. And we are ready to go and kick things off for our two. Don't forget coming up tomorrow is going to be Zach Weissmuller with Reason Magazine. We're going to be talking with him. Uh, about the media's role in mass shootings. What is what is the media's role and responsibility? 
I think, in mass shootings. And uh, Zach Weissmuller's got a piece out in Reason Magazine that's very good and talks about that. And we're going to uh, we're going to get into that. Oh, I should have opened up Stephen's website, but I don't want to crash the whole thing again. So we'll just do it from memory. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you will find links to all of our social media sites, where we simulcast the radio show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as the audio-only live stream, and of course, broadcasting on terrestrial, regular, good old-fashioned radio. Uh, across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite station and or FM translator. Uh, it is the Michael Duke Show. Hour two of the big show. We just finished up with Rosalind Casey, who is a candidate in Anchorage for state Senate. And now we're moving out to the Matsu Valley. Joining us this morning to talk about issues and his candidacy is uh, Stephen Wright. Yesterday, we heard from his wife, who's running for the state house. He's running for the state Senate in the same district, and uh, he joins us this morning to discuss things and talk about it. Good morning, sir. How are you this morning? Doing well. Thanks for coming on board and joining us uh, and and talking with us. So first things first, Stephen, uh, folks don't know about you, don't know who you are, where you are, where you came from. Give us a little bit of background and tell us uh, tell us all about yourself. Okay, I was born in Alaska on Elmendorf Air Force Base, uh, left as a little child, then returned um, after 18 years in the military with Alaska on the top of my list. I finally made it back to Alaska in 2009. Um, I read a bunch of regulations and figured out how to move my family up pre, uh, pre-deployment because I was in Iraq for a year. So. Um, I had eight months of training and I worked it into where I could get them up here before the training. I got them command sponsored. So I got them up here before my, my training ended because I was doing training on helicopters and MI-17, which is a Russian helicopter, uh, having been working in special operations command for the, the previous six years. So, and so I made my way up here. Mostly I worked mostly avionics on aircraft, most of my military career, but, Essentially, when when I was working on the stealth bomber, I was able to uh, 
work my schedule to where I could take classes during the day. So I knocked out my accounting degree. I had started it before I joined the military, but um, basically I got my accounting and management degree from Park University. And from there I went, I was tabbed to be a instructor uh, at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. I was there for four years and from Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, I got my master's in healthcare administration, master's in business, uh, business degree. So from Wayland Baptist University, and that's basically my education background. So um, with that background, when I came up to, uh, after completing my one year uh, tour in Iraq, I was tagged to be a resource advisor. I sat behind a guy for a few months and then took over the, from there for six or from for about a little, little over three years. I was a uh, resource advisor for the 703rd Aircraft Maintenance Squadron, which uh, incorporates the C, had the C-130s. They went to the Guard, but um, I worked on C-130s and Special Operation Training Command for a little bit. But the C-17s, um, pretty much everything that goes to the Pacific Air Command comes through. Uh, Alaska leases their aircraft. Right now it's the Air National Guard, but we had it as an active squadron. And then we also had the E3s, which the airborne warning control systems that fly above and chase, uh, send up the fighters to chase off uh, Russian bombers and Russian planes that come into our airspace. Anyways, that's basically a little bit about me. Um, after retiring from the military, I taught school. For a little bit, I did the troops to teacher program, went to Southeast Alaska for a year. Both me and my wife were teachers. She has her certification through the university or through Santa Fe Community College. So we decided to teach in rural Alaska for a year. And then we came back to the valley and pretty much have settled here. So, so uh, about your foray into politics, I mean, uh, I, I like to ask the candidates, I mean, what exactly did you lose your mind, uh, you know, and decide that uh, jumping into local politics was the uh, was the thing to do? Uh, what was it? Was it a single thing? Was it a cumulative? Was yes. it an aha it moment? It was definitely a single thing. We went in November of 2000, November of 2015, we went down to Las Vegas I checked some Eventbrite events and I found out that Donald Trump was doing a, a rally and there was 19 other candidates at the um, on the strip there. Um, they were talking to all the, all the people. I went, went to a couple of other little events, but the one that really kicked got me going was going to the Trump rally in, uh, at the uh, Westgate in Las Vegas. So. And that that was the one that you said. No, I want to be part. I want to partake in this. I want to be part of the uh, solution rather than the problem. Was that it? Basically, um, I decided within a couple of weeks of the filing deadline. I learned about filing deadlines and stuff like that that year. So I read read up on a bunch of stuff, and then I decided, okay, um, I filed against Don Young and. Two and a half months, I got 10,000 votes, uh, was the runner-up in the 2016 congressional race. And, well, I looked at the state. I didn't really, at the time, I, I was interested more in, I was interested in local politics, but at the time, I thought that nobody was running against Young, so I figured I'd throw my hat in the ring and just test it out and see what was going on in the state of Alaska. And I missed a lot, a lot of the district meetings, which district meetings is where a lot of stuff happens. But you'll find there's 
when you go to the district meetings, there's just a handful of people at each one that really make things happen. So um, I learned learned that process. I learned about all the candidates and I ran again uh, for lieutenant governor because I was interested in fixing the voting system and how kind of everything was going, what was going on with it within the politics at the time. So, and from there I ran for state Senate in 2018. So I've, I've been runner up now three times in <laughs> four different races. So in five, what, six years, five years, I don't know. Anyways, I just have been involved a lot more than I used to be. So say that well no it, and it's interesting because you seem to have done the reverse of what many candidates um have uh, attempted in the past which is they start you know at the local level and then work their way up to the uh you know to the state and then the national level and you seem to have gone backwards starting at the national and working backwards um i my personal belief uh, in, in case you haven't followed the show in the past is that you know i feel like we can do the biggest we can have the biggest impact at the local level and that's where we need to work from kind of the grassroots up in a lot of ways i feel like we have very little impact on the national scale stuff uh, but we can affect what happens in our communities our neighborhoods our cities and our states so i'm glad to see that you're uh, uh, i'm glad to see that you're you're down in the trenches so to speak at the grassroots level um you know, let's uh, let's talk a a little bit about uh, you know your constituency. You obviously with redistricting, you would have been my senator, but of course they they redistricted me out of your area there. Um, let's talk about how you have been received by your constituents. I'm assuming you're going out doing door knocking, meeting people, talking with folks. Uh, what is the uh, you know what, what's been the reaction of folks out in the community? What are they concerned about? Uh, economy. Uh, size and scope of government, thing, I, PFD. What 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 are they what are they talking about? Well, first thing they want to talk about is this new ranked choice voting with everything going on uh, um, with the, with the new voting scheme. Um, so I talk with them a little bit about that. Usually we talk a bit about the permanent fund, and then I spin the focus onto the constitutional convention. Every person that I talk to on the doorstep, I told them that they need to vote yes on the constitutional convention because it's Basically, the judges who allowed our governor to first veto our dividends. So really, it starts with how we pick our judges. And right now, we're not picking them very well. The Bar Association is really hard left leaning, and they're really out to uh, basically silence us. We've talked about retention of judges and judge uh, judicial appointments and retention. It's one of the main issues that folks in the Constitutional Convention, the pro side, the Convention Yes folks, has talked about as being one of the big issues that they want to talk about. Uh, would you like to see us move off of the Missouri plan into something else that, uh, you know, a different type? Should they be elected? Should they be appointed at large? I mean, what what is what do you think is the right solution for that? I think you have to go with a system that allows them to be elected because we do not want unelected bureaucrats uh, running our form of government. Okay. Um, The PFD obviously is a big issue. I mean, ranked choice voting, um, I know that there's been several candidates that have said that they are already incumbents who said if they go back, they're already working on pieces of legislation that would repeal ranked choice voting, uh, because I think a lot of Alaskans didn't understand what exactly they were voting for when they voted for ballot measure number two. Uh, Would you support the repeal of ranked choice voting and uh, going back to our old electoral system? 
Well, yeah, you can look at this current election. I mean, Democrats and Republicans got the same ballot. How are you going to know, essentially, how well the Republican actually did in the race? You know, um, you could have, with all the state workers and all the uh, union workers and everybody else that votes hard in the elections, most people I talk to, they said, well, I usually vote in November and that's pretty much it. So, um, and if you look at the numbers, we got about in our district, based on the last election, there's probably 10,000 more voters to vote. I mean, if a person wins a primary with 3,000 votes, that doesn't say much when there's about 18,000 to vote coming in the general. I I think that the election process needs to be repealed, um, but I do see the issue with uh, incumbents getting incumbency endorsement from the primary, even when those incumbents aren't doing the right thing for Alaskans. So. I can see it both ways, but for the most part, the jungle primary is a little better than the ranked choice uh, primary, but the thing is, that's what you got. Once you get through the primary, you have what you have. Right now, you have right. four. Right. We need to go, yeah, we need to go back to a stronger primary system, and I think the, the parties, if if they help support like the new candidates a little better, I think the system will work better the way it used to be. The permanent fund dividend obviously has been on uh, people's minds for the last, uh, you know, five, six years, seven years now um, since the taking of the permanent fund by Bill Walker. Um, And, uh, and I think it's, I think it's incredibly important, not just to the people, to the private economy. Uh, As Jay Hammond said, it's the ultimate expression of capitalism, you know, basically compensating people for their loss of the mineral rights and making them, uh, you know, as as shareholders in the Alaska Corporation. Uh, What is your take on the permanent fund dividend? Should we be following the statutory formula? Should we be following the law? Should we, you know, with SB 26 being in kind of contravention of the statutory formula, should we repeal SB 26? Should the dividend be leftover? Uh, What we can afford? Sustainable? What, what What is your take on the permanent fund dividend? Well, if you start making the permanent fund dividend a leftover, what ends up happening is you become more of a socialistic society because we invest in our resources in Alaska. And based on the Alaska Constitution, we are a resource development state. Because we're a resource development state, we have to have that pressure on our legislators to allow resources to be developed. Um, From the federal level, they don't want us to touch a tree. They don't want us to they think we're going to kill a fish by moving some dirt around. I, I just have a problem with the fact that um, that our, our permanent fund dividend is actually being looked at incorrectly. It's an investment from our resources in our future. And when we invest in our future, you never want to give the government a gravy train, per se. You don't want them to have a a huge say in how those resources are developed because it's the private sector that really causes the action, even in the investment arena. So I think the permanent fund has to remain at 50-50 average earnings because if you go to a percent of market value, you're arbitrarily funding government uh, based on an appropriation directly against against um against the private sector. And when you pit the public sector against the private sector, the public sector has been winning like nine out of 10 times. So we we need to push back and we need to start winning by investing 
decentralizing government, um, getting more involvement, not from all these uh, nonprofits. We need more involvement from from regular citizens and people that can have good business ideas that could make things happen twice as fast as, say, the government would. I mean, you look at the UNV versus the DMV model. UNV works way better. I mean, might cost a little more initially, but over the long run with the time savings and other things and with like getting Z certificates and other smart ideas that get government out of your life, um, those these ideas have to be what we actually go after because the pendulum has to swing the other way. Government can't keep winning. You saw it during the um, the pandemic, what happened right, to right. small business. So we can't let that happen. We have to prop up our small businesses and give them the opportunity to provide government-based services that the government doesn't need to be involved in. Stephen Wright is our guest, GOP candidate for Senate District N in the Matsu Valley. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment, but we're up against the break. We've got to uh, we got to come back here in just a second. Don't forget, you can always join us on Facebook during the commercial break if you'd like at facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show, where we will have uh, questions and comments with the uh, with the guest. And then we will return in just a moment with Stephen Wright, candidate for Senate in District N, right here on the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, we're in the break right now. Stephen Wright is our guest. We're continuing here uh, discussions uh, with him as we go through here. Um, And we're taking a look at this. um, um, uh, Chris Byer says, wait a minute, 50-50 deal is not an option. No more. The people want a statutory, statutory, statutory PFD is what he's trying to say. And I think what you're talking about is the statutory PFD includes a 50-50 provision in it that basically says it's a five-year rolling average of what the fund earns. 50% of that shall be transferred to the people for a dividend. That's what you're talking about. You're not talking about the 50-50 POMV split. You're talking about the statutory formula, which in and of itself has a 50% uh, split in there on the earnings for a five-year rolling average. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, we have to go back to the statutory average earnings Hammond fifty fifty model based on um, based on the average earnings, which it, 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 that fluctuation allows for the dividend to be pretty well taken care of because the market goes up mostly and then comes down a little, and goes up and comes down. So yeah, definitely one hundred percent. Nothing less than we had with the, the pre Walker cuts. Right. I mean, we shouldn't definitely shouldn't be going backwards. I mean, SB 26 created its own conundrum. Uh, SB 26 is the POMV statute. Um, I mean, would you be in favor of repealing that? I mean, because, again, you just 
touched on it. Uh, the statutory formula actually has baked in protections against market gains and losses. I mean, if the market goes up, the PFD goes up. If the market goes down, the PFD goes down. It, it automatically adjusts for what's happening in the market versus POMV is just a static 5%, 5%, 5%, 5% draw, whether we're doing well or we're doing poorly. And it has a danger of uh, draining out uh, both the earnings reserve and the corpus uh, if uh, if we have a bad, you know, if we got the bear versus the 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 bear versus bull market, we've got a problem. Uh, the statutory formula actually protects against that. Yeah, so that's that's exactly right. Um, I'm I'm definitely for, for how it was before. We have to put it back to the statutory, and it shouldn't. The percent of market value, or the SB twenty six, as they call it, I'm definitely for repealing it. I've mentioned that many times. Uh, since I've been running um, past and now. SB 26 would probably be one of the first bills I push, but I have to get people to sign on to it, but that'd be one right. of the first ones that I put in. I mean, there's other bills that I would work on as well. I know there's several incumbents who have said that they too would like to see that repealed, and I know there's been some discussion on that as well, because that, again, would stop the... Uh, this tug of war, the PFD is basically the, the 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 volleyball that's been batted back and forth across the legislature for the last six years, sucks up all the oxygen in the room. And if we didn't have SB 26, there would no longer be a conflicting statute and they'd have to either follow the statute or change it. I mean, I, I think that would be the, uh, you know, what they would, what they need to, uh, what they need to do with that. Um now you are you and your wife are both running, uh, which I I find interesting. Uh, that would make for some interesting times if you both end up in Juno at the same time. Yeah, so far we haven't had uh, two events that at least forms that have, well we've had one, but they were not combined at the Matsu Family Restaurant Republican Woman Bill. But for the most part, we do have some coming up where we'll both be in at the same time. So. If, if she messes something up, I could probably go in and clean it up at the end. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> she's the Senate goes after the House. Yeah. Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Stephen, hold the line for just a second. We're going to be right back to you here. Folks, uh, like and share the show. You could share the show from any platform, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. You can just hit the share button there and put it out on your social media feeds. Uh, I ask you to do that so we get more Alaskans involved in these conversations. As much as I like to see all the same names all the time, it's good uh, It's good when we, uh, when we get new folks in here. So like and share. Don't forget also to subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube or to like and follow the show page on Facebook uh, or to follow on Twitch. You'll get notifications every time we go live. Uh, and so you won't miss a thing. Jumping back into it, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Stephen Wright is our guest. We get back into it right now. Alrighty, we're getting back into it now uh, with our guest, Stephen Wright, who is a GOP candidate for Senate District N out in the Matsu Valley. Uh, that's a seat currently held by David Wilson with redistricting. It's a kind of a completely new district. 
Stephen uh, joins us uh, this morning. We're now talking more about uh, budgets and things like that. Your wife mentioned that, uh, you know, you're the accounting guy, so you've been following the budgets and looking at things and uh, and seeing where we're at. So the question that I ask quite often is, the size and scope of state government right now, is it uh, too big? Is it too small? Is it just right? Where is it and where do you think it should be? It's way too big. Quite a bit too large. What uh, I think it should be. Um, so this year with COVID and some other funding and all this other funds that the government doesn't know what to do with. Um, I mean, even if you go back a few years, the state's been transferring up to since they started cutting the pfd they've been transferring a billion to two and a half billion dollars at the end of year uh rollover into the next fiscal year so there's a lot of either slush funds or excess government um and you know with government it's all there's always going to be excess they get these sweetheart contracts and stuff like that i mean i talked to people that tell me when I go door to door, they tell me that like, I talked to one person from the Department of Transportation telling me about all their per diems. And then another one was telling me that uh, basically that they had 20 floating holidays. So, I mean, I think and the standard for the federal government is 12. So, I mean, there's a lot of excess here and there uh, within the budget itself. And so we need to privatize a lot of these functions of government just to make it more efficient you probably get 10 20 percent efficiency out of that alone just uh like for the schools example private private bus companies private catering for food um because when you're paying the public employee you're paying a large cost associated with those because the insurance costs for the state we go out of market for our insurance when i was a teacher the southeast island school district was paying three thousand dollars a month to a company in um, Montana uh, just for insurance. And um, I, I told them, they, they said they needed me for a pool, but I said, Hey, uh, I'm retired military. I got VA benefits. I can use uh, GI bill and all this other stuff. And then when you get to start looking at these expenses, like Medicaid, um, for example, native health services. Well, well, if you look at, we went from a hundred, and 30,000 uh, Alaskans on Medicaid in 2012 when Walker expanded it in 2014, 2000. Anyways, when the expansion took place, it's ballooned to 260,000 Alaskans on Medicaid. So, and we, we as Alaska took all the options. So there's an extra 20, 30% in Medicaid costs up to a billion dollars just from optional care that's not required. So there's a lot of issues that can be cleaned up just by um, repealing a, another one of Walker's expanded costs to us. You know, right. he cut the dividend, but he, he grew he, and put it into compete against Medicaid into the budget as an right. appropriation. It was an appropriation before, but it was a restricted appropriation based on average earnings right now the permanent fund is unrestricted because it's based on a uh, the sb26 model that you're talking about right uh, again making it uh, designated funds instead of uh, just an unrestricted transfer it was a shall transfer prior to that 
and uh, unrestrictedly transfer until yeah. the judge said it can be an appropriation yeah. because the governor told us it could be cut. So. Right. Um, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, you've talked about uh, Medicaid and a little bit about education. Those are obviously two of the, lar- two of the largest components of our budget. Um, so I'm assuming based on what you just said that you would like to see us ratchet back on the Medicaid expansion so that we're not taking every available option out there. Would that be one way to reduce yeah, the size? back or take a different approach. When I taught school in Southeast Alaska, we were on a four-day school week. So we only met with the students four days a week. We had an extra day for like extracurricular. If they wanted to come in on Fridays or uh, every other, well, it was Fridays mostly. Um, the staff would come in every Friday, but every other Friday we'd have off. So, but basically there's a lot that can be done with education. I mean, where if we get back to the core, you could you could put a floating day in there and have that at, at uh, a library slash uh, study hall day for the kids that are behind and activity day for the ones that aren't, but then you wouldn't have to have all the staff per se. Um, there's a lot of models that could work. And the more privatized we get with what happens within our public schools, the better off we're going to be as far as costs. Right. And like I said, Medicaid, the problem I saw with Medicaid is if you go to the division or the department of health and social services website, and you do a search for native, native, care and medicaid they'll say that they've signed up 40 percent of the natives which they already have health care but these sweetheart deals through medicaid i think the reason why they process medicaid first i'm not 100 percent sure but the reason well there's a lot of fraud in medicaid but the reason why they go with medicaid first is it's another avenue for doctors to get money faster but if they file it through the other insurance it will come back in a fairly timely manner, more routine. So I think there's a lot of gaps that have to be filled. Um, and like I said, from insurance to healthcare to, um, to uh, education, there's a lot of things that can be done. It's just, and, and then we've got a lot of school districts in Alaska. So if you put all the rules under one, you've got huge administration costs, which I don't know how we went over time with all these huge administrations, but from, and you've got all kinds of staff that like, if you go to the rural schools, you won't see, see all these different counselors and all these things that you find in like the Anchorage school district. But there, there's a lot that needs to be looked at and it needs to be looked at by somebody who's not only done that, but at, at a reduction point. So that, I mean, even if you've got a, bring in somebody that's not on the public funding, uh, maybe a private contract and only fund that private contract or because anytime you start dealing with public money, it, it gets complicated. Plus there's all these extra costs associated like health and insurance. Right. It just well, makes it more complicated. There's some discussion that, uh, you know, we have 54 school districts in the state, and yet some of these districts have got just a handful of children, that it would be better to consolidate it down to, you know, a half a dozen, maybe 10 districts, uh, and consolidate a lot of the rural school districts into a single unit. Uh, You've worked in the rural schools. Would that make sense? I mean, eliminating the duplication of effort and all that? I was in Southeast Island School District. Um, It was Hyder. 
Hyder is kind of way out of the way. So there's a bunch of school districts in between Hyder. If you look at Wrangell to the north a little bit, and you look at Ketchikan, and then you roll on over to Prince of Wales Island. When you get to Prince of Wales Island, you have Craig City, a school district. You have Metlakatla School District. Um, there's a couple. There's like four school districts on Prince of Wales Island. If you include uh, Hyder and Southeast Alaska, and I was talking to my administrator when I worked at the schools, and he he actually resigned and came back at 0.5. And there's some kind of loophole where if you come back at 0.5, you can have your retirement. And anyways, he was telling me that he was making more as a retired administrator than he was as an administrator. And we had two 0.5. Uh, administrators at the time, and he managed a couple of the school districts. One was Metlakatla. So, anyways, I'm saying there's a lot of costs associated with a lot of these things that people aren't seeing, and um, I think there's a problem uh, in that area. Stephen, uh, if I waved my magic wand and made you the senator uh, right now, what would be the first things that you would uh, you would tackle uh, going into the legislature? What would be the first things you would focus in on? Well, if I couldn't get a yes vote on uh, on the con con, I would I would uh, repeal SB twenty six. Number one, number two, I would um, work on a program similar to what we had in the Department of Defense. When you're in a downsizing or decentralizing uh, mode of operations, uh, one of the focuses is uh, savings. And I ran a circuit card repair shop uh, for two years when I was in it at, at special ops training command. So we fixed a lot of things and we looked at a lot of fraud, waste and abuse and made sure that, you know, when you DRO DRMO a piece of equipment, it was actually something that couldn't be used by another agency. So well, DRMO means basically you're selling it at auction. Right. So there's a lot of cost saving measures that I would do a bill that would look at the unfunded positions of all state departments and this bill would require state departments to roll the funding for those positions on a quarterly basis into an earnings type account like the earnings reserve account. Because if you have money sitting in an account that's not working for you, you're losing money over time. Right. So, Right. Just the time value of money stuff I learned when I was account and taking account. Right. No, I mean, I, again, I think the unfunded positions is definitely one of the low hanging fruit in as far as making government more efficient and accountable. Uh, we're coming down to the end here, though, Stephen. So I want to give you a chance here for your finer, uh, your finer, your final elevator pitch. Uh, why people should vote for you versus your opponent? How do they find out more about you? What are you doing? Are you having any events, et cetera, et cetera? I'll give you the floor here. Okay. Well, I'm for. I'm for resource development like the Alaska Constitution states for maximum benefit of the people. That's my slogan. My wife is make Alaska great again. I'm a maximum benefit for the people of Alaska. And so essentially, uh, for example, the, I listened to an AOGA uh, presentation where they told us that um, next year's projection is 5.6 billion, whereas in 2021, we had two, 2 billion in uh, revenue from oil and gas. And so if you look at all the resources combined, um, right now the state pulled in about 117 billion for mining last year. 
So, or the previous few years, if we can increase revenue sources in development of our resources, like rare earth minerals and things of that nature, um, coal, there's a lot of potential in Alaska to where we could grow that. It could be another permanent fund where like oil is producing for the state 5.61. And that includes the permanent fund. By the way. Right. And if we have permanent fund from oil that gradually gets up instead of being 5% of the budget ends up being 10, 20, 30%. You're talking, there's a lot of revenue available, but we, we really don't want to give all that revenue to the state because unless it's for infrastructure or building uh, Alaska, uh, making Alaska better. But my name is Stephen Wright. I'm running for state Senate district in out in the Valley. It's district 27 and 28, 28 is the new district. The new house district that's the one my wife's running for and um stephen wright for states or um stephen for alaska.com is my website so okay just go there and take a look and yeah so take, take, take a peek at it all right well stephen wright uh, gop candidate for senate district n in the matsu thanks for coming on board and joining with us uh, this morning we appreciate you being part of it and uh and uh communicating with us this morning thank you Yep. All right, hold the line for just a second, Stephen. Folks, we got more coming up. I'm going to open up the phone lines in just a minute. We'll take some of your calls, your thoughts on the candidates for this morning or any other topics that you may want to touch on. It's our final cleanup for the day. We'll be back with more. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Our light, our guide... And our trusted friend. Okay, in the break right now, Stephen Wright's still with us. Uh, Want to give him one final bite at the apple in case there was something we didn't hit on, some kind of topic that I missed, or anything else that you want to say. Stephen, now is the time to do it. You got about two and a half, three minutes here. I give you the I give you the final say for the day here on the uh, on the airwaves. Okay. So Alaska is a resource development state, and we need to develop our resources um, for maximum benefit of the people. Uh, like I said, the difference between 2021 and 2023 projections from AOGC, which I pulled up earlier, is $4.5 billion. So, I mean, that, that's just revenue from oil. I mean, you can imagine if the market returns to what it should be doing based on post-pandemic activity but there's all these other factors we got a communist in the white house but anyways it's another story um but yeah i support i support the republican platform as long as people are following the republican platform i've always been republican it's just we've got a lot of people in there that aren't really following the platform so um i just think that that's that's important we can get back to the primary system we can repeal uh we can repeal our change this initiative ballot measure two from last time. We can do all that in the constitutional convention. And I'm definitely for uh, term limits of some sort for state and federal. And I don't know if we can do that in the convention or not, but I, I would like to try. And then uh, there are a lot of things that can be done 
the Constitutional Convention. But that's that's me, Stephen Wright. So. All right, so you're pro-Constitutional Convention on top of it. All right, StephenForAlaska.com is the website. Folks want to go take a look at it and check it out. Stephen Wright, thank you so much for coming on board and joining us. We appreciate uh, we appreciate you coming on and uh, and talking with us today. Thanks. All right, uh, Stephen Wright, uh, candidate for Senate in District N. All right, so uh, this is where we go ahead and open up the phone lines and uh, see what folks have to say about uh, any of the candidates or uh, um, any of the uh, any of the any of the things that you want to talk about this morning. Um, we will uh, jump into that here and uh, and talk about that. Let me get the phone lines turned on here. Again, I don't want to blow you out, so I'm going to stop talking for just a hot second here. All right. Thanks for calling the call-in line of the Michael. De- all right, we got all that squared away. So uh, now I didn't blast your blast your ears out with that. Um, okay. Well, I guess my comments and thoughts this morning on both the candidates are. Uh, I think people could benefit from a public speaking class, um, consolidating ideas and bringing them down and, and having a, and having a, having a concise plan. I guess that's what I, I guess that's my first and I guess that's my first thought first and foremost is that it would be nice to have a concise plan that can be articulated in, um, in an understandable way. Um, the, <laughs> I, the, I think it was, uh, Christine said, uh, these draggy, unskilled public speakers are so boring. And, and I think it's unfortunate sometimes when people, you know, can't, they have, they're making good points, but they're not making them cohesively. They're not being able to, to gather those ideas into a, you know, it's more of a stream of consciousness than it is an actual, here's my talking point, or here's, here's, here's the point that I want to make, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, but, uh, you know, those, those skills those skills take time. Those skills take time sometimes. Uh, he did make a mention that I, I was going to call. I was going to. I was going to ask him about, but I just. I didn't ask him about it. Uh, Tawny asked the question because he talked about privatizing, and he mentioned bus service for the schools, uh, which is already privatized. Uh, Tawny, you are right. It's my understanding that the school bus system is a contracted item of the school district. This is a private company. Do I have my understanding correct? Yes, you are. It's a private company. It's a contract with the school. The school does not pay school bus. They're not school district employees. So there is already some privatization that has gone on or some privatizing uh, privatizing that is um, used in part of that. And maybe it was just a misspeak on his part. I don't know. But uh, that's that's what it is. Can we bail early, says Harold? Sure. Feel free. The, the big red X button is right there on the top right-hand side of the screen. Feel free to bail early. The coffee song is not here yet, so feel free to go brew some and enjoy it. That's all we do. Um, so, <laughs> what? Need a, what? Need a bill to create a bacon university. Swine candy you. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, is, that a, is that the new, that's the new uh, fraternity at the bacon university is swine candy you. Um, Rob made a comment about when we were talking about the Medicaid, uh, Medicare, uh, Medicaid expansion, uh, that Obamacare 
push people to Medicaid so that the feds didn't have to fund the Indian Health Service the way that they were supposed to, which I would agree with as well. Okay, um, coming back to it, the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's get going. Okay, uh, one final segment here on the program this morning before we run out of daylight. Let's get into it here. Uh, quick reminder that there is a uh, that there is a debate tonight on whether or not the uh, state should have a constitutional convention. The debate is going on at the uh, Wendy Williamson Auditorium in Anchorage. It's going to be a live stream, which I know that there's a viewing party at Paradiso's restaurant uh, in uh, Was in uh, Soldatna. Um, uh, they're they're holding a watch party there, uh, six o'clock. I guess pizza is going to be served, and then they're going to watch the debate at seven, and then they're going to have conversations afterwards. I imagine there's going to be watch parties around the state uh, for that, uh, but it's going to be going on tonight. At 7 p.m. at the Wendy Williamson Auditorium uh, on the pro side of the uh, CONCON is Bob Bird and uh, Lauren Lehman. Bob Bird, of course, chairman of the Alaska Independence Party and host of a talk show down in the Kenai. And, of course, Lauren Lehman, former lieutenant governor. On the anti-CONCON side is Joel Hall president of the AFL-CIO, and Matt Shuckero, who is the owner of Fathom Strategic Communications, uh, also former communications director for um, Governor Mike Dunleavy. And you're going to be able to take a look at that and watch that on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, on Facebook, it's at facebook.com slash Alaska Public. The Alaska Public Media is going to be broadcasting it. And so that should be an interesting, that should be an interesting debate. Um, and I hope uh, I hope you guys are going to be watching that tonight, and uh, we'll see we'll see we'll see what happens with that. But uh, that's going on tonight again at seven p.m. And you can uh, you could take a look at that and watch that out there. Uh, we're opening up the phone lines right now for those of you who uh, would like to sound off on anything that we've talked about today. The number to call is 907-433-3150. Want to remind you, of course, also this hour being brought to you by our friends at Satellite West. You could find them at SatelliteWest.com when it comes to communications, whether it's internet or cellular or text messaging uh, or email or whatever. No matter where you are, Satellite West is there to help you out um, when with connect you with the Iridium Satellite Network. And you could just go over to uh, SatelliteWest.com to get all the details on it. But the number to call this morning is 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Speaking of uh, the uh, 
ConCon. We are going to have our guests next week are going to include uh, Josh Church, who is uh, with the Con Convention, yes. He's going to be joining us next Wednesday. And in fact, next Wednesday, we're pretty much already full up for guests. On Monday, we're going to have Kelly Shabaka. She's going to be joining us in the first hour. And then I think we're going to be joined. We're waiting on confirmation, but I think we're going to be joined by John Bennett, who's a candidate uh, in hour two. Of course, Tuesday is going to be Chris Story and uh, Brad Keithley. Wednesday is going to be Russell Wyatt and that uh, uh, in hour one. And then Josh Church from the Con Yes people is going to be in hour two. And then Ginger Bryant and Ron Gillum on Thursday, followed on next Firearms Friday by um, uh, Dave, uh, either Dave Workman or Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation. And they haven't decided which one they're going to send me here. But we're going to talk to one of them. And uh, then potentially uh, Chris Chang as well, Top Shot champion. So it's going to be a it's going to be a full show, full week. And again, already got candidates booked out for the following week as well as we get closer. I mean, we are just. I mean, where are we now? One, two, three, four, five. We are five weeks away. Five weeks away from the uh, general election when all this madness is is going to end. And so uh, we're, we're going to see what we can do. Somebody also asked if I've gotten the interview set up between Gillum and Ruffridge. Not yet. Uh, I'm going to be working on that after we have Ron on the program. Then we'll see if we can get that um, 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 squared away. And then Jeannie in the chat room said that Paradisios is in Kenai, not in Soldatna. I'm sorry. Kenai, Soldatna. It's a five-minute trip one way or the other. So anyway, Paradisios restaurant. You can go out there and check it out tonight at uh, 6 p.m. for pizza and 7 p.m. for the debate. Uh, all right, we're going to um, um, we're going to uh, continue here. Take a couple calls, see what you guys have to say. Let's go over to the uh, telephones, and uh, we'll get uh, we'll get some thoughts from you on today's candidates or whatever you want to talk about. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is Carlene and Cody. Good morning, Carlene. Good morning. The two interviews, Rosalind brought up a really important topic about the Social Security, and maybe people could look into that. It's, it's a very important issue. And then um, Mr. Wright brought up the Health and Social Service issue. And in the Kodiak Daily Mirror, we had a uh, medical industrial complex person and the sitting on boards and they gave themselves a raise and they made it retroactive it was like 3.2 or 3.4 million dollars whoa and yes yes and maybe um the person was andy tuber he passed away in his helicopter um, maybe you remember the story. I, I remember and the story, yeah. People, yes, maybe that could be looked into, but that's also another big issue. Right. Thank you, Michael. Uh, real quick, Carlene, before I let you go, you said she mentioned the Social Security. Which component were you concerned about? I mean, the fact that that uh, she was saying that the teachers aren't getting access to Social Security? or I mean, what, what is the, what is the, the beef there? 
um, state employees do not get Social Security. So then if they are injured on the job, they have to fight workers' comp and all those lawyers in Juneau that just got that $38 million. And then they usually lose their case. And then they go to draw Social Security because they're injured and there's none. And right. so they're really in a fix. They live on the couch of somebody that'll take them in or in the recliner with their little bag behind the recliner. It's a big issue. And um, the workers' comp, that's another big issue. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Carlene. Thanks for uh, calling in and, and uh, giving us your thoughts this morning. We appreciate that. All right. Thanks. Uh, okay, folks, uh, we're coming up to the end here. Uh, we don't have a time for any more calls. Um, we're working out, uh, Chris is asking a question in the chat room, which I think I'm hearing a lot of people say, what's up with Mike Dunleavy? Did he go into hibernation? I don't hear anything about his positions on anything. I think Dunleavy's entire plan, battle plan at this point for the election is to basically just be quiet, sit in the corner and hide out. He thinks he's got the numbers to do it. He doesn't have to go in front of the people. He doesn't have to attend debates. He doesn't have to answer questionnaires. He thinks that uh, I mean, he appears to think that uh, he's got it all in the bag. And so why why give the bad guys ammunition to shoot him down with? So just not show up. He's declined. They've declined interviews on the show. Uh, the only, in fact, we've only heard from Charlie Pierce and Les Guerra. We haven't heard from Walker and Dunleavy's people just declined. So, okay. I guess that means you know who you can vote for in that regard. All right. Well, we're done with today. Tomorrow's another one. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Appreciate you guys coming in. We will see you tomorrow. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. Oh, got to tell you. You know, I, I appreciate guests that come on and talk with us about things, but it's really hard when they don't have a well-framed argument or thought, right? It's, uh, it's, it's just one of those things. I would love to... I just love people. Maybe take, again, a public speaking class or write your ideas down or whatever. Because you get some good ideas, but it's you got to pick through a lot of stuff to get to them. Joel says he saw Mike Dunleavy yesterday. Y'all should attend the Young Republican Club. Okay. Great. What about those of us that aren't Young Republicans? You know? Just because he doesn't have time for your show doesn't mean much to me, says Joel. Well, it's not just me, Joel. It's everybody. Man, somebody's salty this morning. A lot of people don't watch your show. Don't know why. I don't know why either. Go tell all your friends, Joel. They should be watching the show. You know, go watch the show. No, Mike Dunleavy actually put out a press release that said he was not going to be attending any of these interviews or answering questionnaires or anything else. I'm not criticizing. I'm just giving my analysis as to why, why I think that he's not doing it. There you go. All right, my friends. I got to get out of here. I've had enough of politics for today. We'll see you tomorrow. 
with uh, Zach Weissmuller from Reason Magazine on Firearms Friday. Have a great day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show